know that life is hard. In fact, life is rarely easy. I often think that if you tried to define what life is, one way you could talk about it as being a life filled with hard choices, one after the other. Sometimes we kind of think we're, we're always going from one difficult situation to another. But I have good news. Help is on the way. That's exactly what Luke 1 says. God is at work in our world and help is on the way in the form of Jesus Christ the Lord. So today we're going to look at Luke 1 and we're going to ask, how do you deal with the hard choices of life? And we're going to see what Mary did and Elizabeth did and Joseph did in dealing with the hard choices of life. The scripture is about real people living in real times, living in real places. You can go to Palestine today and most of the places found in scripture, there is, uh, there's a place and we know where it is. And the people of that day are mentioned in history. The, that is the leaders like Herod the Great and Caesar Augustus and, and all of the people of the scripture. So today we need to look at those real people Remember there's Zechariah, the priest, to whom Gabriel, the angel, uh, met and announced to him that his wife, who was barren and beyond childbearing age, would have a son, and you're to call his name Jesus, uh, to call his name John, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then there is Elizabeth, his wife, and her relative, younger relative, Mary, and the angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her that she too will have a son and he will be the son of God, the savior of the world. Kind of a heavy message to get. So listen to what Mary did. In the sixth month, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the baby John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women!' And blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I hope that over the Christmas season, you will at least read Luke chapters 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. And then in your mind, I challenged the group on Wednesday night to do this. In your mind or on a sheet of paper, write down how all of these two fit together because it's something like this where they come together. And after reading it a time or two, you can start seeing how all of this fits What happens in this passage of Scripture is that Mary has heard the words of Gabriel, and she sounds very confident and very committed, but we all know that there have to be a lot of questions. So she goes to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth, her older relative, we don't even know where Elizabeth lived. We just know it's the hill country of Judea. It would be a day's journey at least to get there. And Mary goes to Elizabeth. And why does she do that? Because the angel of the Lord gives her a sign. And the sign is even your relative who is barren, who is beyond childbearing age, is now in her sixth month. And Mary goes to see her. And Elizabeth encourages and assures Mary, and her very presence blesses her. And I want to tell you that just like you and me, Joseph and Mary needed encouraging and blessing and helping We all need it. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be affirmed. We all need to to know that somebody has our back. We all need to know that somebody prays for us, that somebody notices us and notices what we're going through in life. And all of us know that life is difficult. I hope you came here today in peace and love and joy, and there is a general happiness within you. But I know the congregation well enough to know that a lot of you have been burdened for a long time, and a lot of you are burdened now, and some of you are burdened in a way that you can't tell anybody else. Those are the most difficult burdens to have. The ones that you can't share with other people, the the ones that that burden you and and hurt you and are difficult when you need people around you. Life becomes very difficult and we have difficult choices to make. Think of Joseph. He fits right into this passage of Scripture. 
Matthew chapter 1, when the angel appears to a Joseph in a dream, and what does he say? Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Here was the culture of the day about marriage. The families would arrange it. Probably that had been the case. At this point, Joseph, I, I'm just going to say Joseph was 21, and I'm going to say Mary was 16, because in that day the culture was that when a girl was of marriageable age, childbearing age, generally she would get married. So let's just say that Mary was 16. Not exactly a, a great picture of maturity and of experience in life. And Joseph probably was 21, and why do I say that? Well, he had to be have a job, and he had to be able to support a wife, and he had to have a place to live. So the marriage would be arranged. They would be, they would have the marriage ceremony. So different. Think about this. They would have the marriage ceremony. They were husband and wife. They would be betrothed, but they would not live together. That would come later in the betrothal. So when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, when they were husband and wife, but had not yet begun to live together, it was apparent and clear that Mary was pregnant. And so now Joseph has really hard choices to make. Here's the, what the Bible says, Joseph being a just man, a merciful, kind man, a principled man. Here's kind of the way if you could make a man. Some of you are doing your best to make young men in your families. If you could make a man, you would make a man of principle, of honor, of desiring to do that which is right and to be righteous, but kind and loving and sensitive to his wife and to women in general. If you could make a man, that's the way you would make him to be, and that's the best we can tell from the words that are spoken about Joseph. That was Joseph. That was the kind of man God chose. But Joseph has a choice being a principled man, but desiring to do the best by Mary. He had decided to put her away quietly. But then the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to take her home. She is your wife. Take her home. Care for her, for that which is which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So the question for you and me is, how do we make hard choices? 
it, it appears that what God is doing is just showing us this is the way. This is what a godly man should look like. And this is the way that a godly man and woman should make decisions. So what do you do when you have hard choices to make? What do you do when your world... It's kind of hard to imagine that anything had happened to Joseph other than his world had been turned upside down because he had no, he had no picture of this happening. Not in history, not in scripture. There was no picture of this. There was no way that you were to follow. There was no roadmap. There was no precedent. What do you do? So let me give you five things that you find in this passage of Scripture and five things that we see happening here. When life, when you have hard choices, seek godly counsel. Seek what God has to say to you and receive the things that come to God. Look to God and look to those who know God. That's exactly what Mary did. The angel said, your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month. So what does Mary do? She makes the trek. She goes to the hill country of Judea. She enters into the house of Zechariah. She visits with her relative Elizabeth and stays there for three months. It's Elizabeth's sixth month, and right before the child, John, is born, Mary goes back to her home in Nazareth, and she is now three months pregnant. So she sees Elizabeth. She gets godly counsel. Here's the thing we know about Elizabeth. We know that she was a godly woman. We know that she was faithful to God. We know that God had chosen her because of her faithfulness and devotion to God. Because God used her, he was able to speak to Mary as well. Now think about this. They are talking about what women talk about. They're talking about giving birth. They're talking about what uh, somehow or the other, Zechariah got the message to Elizabeth about the angel Gabriel coming and talking to him and telling him they were going to have a son and they are naming John. And no doubt Mary is telling Elizabeth of the astounding message. Can you imagine how affirming it was to Mary when she comes into the presence of Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, blessed are you and blessed the child that you will bear. And my child leaped within the womb. We all need to be affirmed. We all need to have our understandings confirmed. And she did that. We need to seek godly counsel. My go-to verses are Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
But here's the part we need to get. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can skip over the hard parts and lean not on your own understanding. And this is my go-to verse because I struggle with this. Let me do things my way. Let me do things in the way I think best. Let me lean on my own understanding. But what does the word of the Lord say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways, in everything. Trust in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. Seek godly counsel and don't get caught up in ungodly counsel. But it seems that we just are drawn to do that. That we go to the ungodly. That we go to those who don't know the Spirit of God. That we go to those who don't read Scripture and don't follow Scripture and don't obey Scripture. Paul tried to say that to the church at Corinth. Those are powerful words, historic words. Here's what I said one time about 10 years ago. I said the most disobeyed command of God is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, you and I know that that at the first place, that has to do with marriage. Not to be unequally yoked. This is not something in the middle of a marriage to deal with. It is something to deal with on the front end of a marriage. It is something to deal with on the person you date. It is the, per- the thing to deal with on the person that you are drawn to and are learning and spending time with. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so it talks about marriage, but do you know the place I see it that it gives the greatest pain? I see it in businesses, in partnerships, in groups of people who go into business together and are unequally yoked in that way. But the passage obviously refers to everything. Don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 speaks to this tremendously, powerfully, I think. Psalm 1, most people will say, is strategically placed because it talks about the way of the blessed and the unblessed. It talks about the godly and the ungodly. And there are 150 psalms. If I didn't have to count them and add them up, I'd tell you how many verses there are in Psalms. Thousands of them, of course. And the first one, the first verse tells you don't don't go for the counsel of the ungodly. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked who does not stand in the way that sinners take and who does not sit in the company of those who mock God. 
Seek the counsel that comes from God. Who did Joseph listen to? To the angel? To the word of God in his life. I think there's a truth, and I would encourage you to circle this on your sermon sheet. Don't make hard choices in your own strength, but go to God, go to his word, go to the people of God, and let God speak into your heart. There's a second thing I want to say to you today, and that is seek, seek practical solutions. Seek helpful solutions. Remember, the whole world is God's world. All truth is God's truth. God has given us healing plants. God has given us bodies that heal. He heals all of our diseases. God has given us practical things to do. And there are some practical things that you can do that will help you amazingly, and that will make a huge difference in your life. About two weeks ago, I read a blog that I read every week. It's, a, it's about emotional intelligence. It's about your maturity. It's about maturing. It's about how you get along with other people. It's about how you live life. And here's how the blog began. A month ago, the author said... I started practicing this practice every day, and it has changed my life. Now, at that point, the first paragraph, you can click off and move to something else. There was no way I was clicking away from this has changed my life especially when it is written by somebody that I've read things before and, and read his information and received help from what he has said. Here's what he said. This man, he makes it very clear, he wants to help people with their emotions and their feelings, their emotional intelligence. Most people who do those kinds of things have some struggles with that. And he's made it clear. There are times he's melancholy, times he's discouraged, times he needs to be buoyed in his feelings. So he said, I read a neuroscientist who says that this has been the practice of his life for years. And the practice is early in the morning, when the sun is up, before he begins the major activities of the day, he goes outside, looks to the east, looks toward the light, stands in the light, sits in the light. I don't know exactly that part of it. Stands in the light for 10 or 15 minutes. Now, there's some of you who are saying, I can't stand still for 10 or 15 minutes, and I know that. But what he says is that there is healing in the sunlight. Here's sunlight. Here's what the neuroscientist said. He's, the neuroscientist said there are five things that you need for physical and emotional help. Now, I hope I can remember the other four. Sleep. Good sleep. Nutrition. 
movement, relationships. We all know that. And sunlight. And he says, standing in the sunlight early in the day will make all the difference. I've said this to you this before. Every time we learn something in our modern world and we think, look at us, we are so smart. We're so sharp and all of these things, we're figuring this out. Every time we do that, I'm, I'm always amazed at Scripture. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, talks about the coming of the Lord and the destruction of the wicked. But listen to verse 2. Verse 2 says, But for you who revere my name, have reverence for my name, God says, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. It's the S-U-N, son of righteousness. In church, you just think when you hear it, it's the S-O-N, and that would also be correct. But do you hear what he's saying? The son of righteousness will heal, will rise with healing in its rays. Take those practical things that you know to do and do them with all your heart. What would you tell somebody who's discouraged and afraid, who is depressed, who is melancholy? Well, here's what I would say. I would say, open the blinds, pull back the curtains, walk outside, spend time in the sunshine, find a friend, not who will help you, but find a friend who will help. I know I haven't made my point when somebody says, well, I already do all of those things. Those are practical things to make a difference. What did Mary do? Hey, I'm going to visit with Elizabeth. She knows the Lord. The angel has told me that she is going to give birth. I'm going to Elizabeth. So spend time in the sunlight. Spend time in God's future. Everybody here, starting with me, everybody here will be, will be depressed if we live in the past. Because most of the time, we don't live in the past to think about the goodness of God, the glory of God, the power of God. We think about the past to think about how somebody harmed us, somebody treated us wrong, something that we did that we're ashamed of and that hurt so deeply. And if you live back here, I promise you, things are not going to be good. But on the, at the opposite, if you live in God's future based on the promises of God, based on what God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. If you live in the promises of God, what did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again to take you to be with me. What did the angel say? The Lord is going to come. 
He will be in the throne over the throne of David. His kingdom will never end. Tell that to the tyrants of the world. Tell that to the despots of the world. Tell that to those who destroy human life and don't love human life and hate God. His kingdom will never end. We need to live in the future of God, not in the past, but in God's great work that he has done for us. So do those practical things. Spend time in God's word. I, I grew up on a, on a song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. That's what we need to do. It's a practical thing. And most good decisions have a practical component. A third thing to do, look for God at work. I went through one of the hardest times of my life, and my mother introduced me to Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good to those who call, who love him and are called according to his purpose. I've never forgotten that. She didn't mean you got everything figured out. She means put your life in God's purpose. Let God be in control. Think about what Paul said in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. He writes to the church at Philippi. You can, you can make a case saying that Paul's favorite church was the church at Philippi. It is such a beautiful letter, a letter of joy. That's the theme. It, and it's so interesting because Paul is in Rome and he is in prison and he is awaiting trial at which the Romans are either going to give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me I've been arrested for the gospel. I am in chains. I'm awaiting a verdict. I'm awaiting to see whether I live or die. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel because the whole praetorian guard, Caesar's household, knows that I am in chains not because I'm a criminal, but because of the gospel. And many have been saved. And the church here in Rome that is under the pressure of persecution has been encouraged. Look for God's work in our midst. Look for what God can do. A fourth thing to do, when you go through these things, magnify the blessings of God. Look in your own life. Count your many blessings. Magnify those blessings. Where do I get there? Look again at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul, our translation says, glorifies the Lord. The word means my soul magnifies the Lord. So in church history, this is called the Magnificat. It magnifies the Lord. Read through it again. Sometimes we read it and, and say, I don't really care for poetry. Read this. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit 
rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state. And what you and I need to do is to keep our eyes on God, keep our mind on him, read the promises that God has given, and seek to find ways to magnify his name. And then number five comes into play, rest in God's presence. Rest in knowing that he knows you, knows your name, your DNA sequence, how you're formed, your emotions. Everybody's emotions are different, and yet God has got me figured out and you figured out, and he knows who we are. I find great help when I say, God, I don't understand this, but I choose to trust you that you're aware and you know and that you care and that you're with me. I think Mary went home and in spite of the turmoil around her, in spite of the choices that she had to make, despite all of the things that others would say, she rested in the presence of the Lord. And that's a wonderful place to be. Let's pray together, please. God, I thank you for, for Elizabeth and Zechariah, wonderful examples for Joseph and Mary. God, I thank you for the power of your word of how it speaks. God, I thank you for your promises that help us every day. God, I want to pray now for these people who love you and want to be like you. Help each of us to trust in you. Help each of us to say, God, I don't understand everything that's happening, but I trust in you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And would you let this be a time of demonstrating that trust by walking to the front and talking to a counselor here? Would you let this be a time in which you say deep within your heart and your soul, God, I trust you, and I want to be faithful and obedient unto you. Come now as we sing.